Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Last week, you guys had the privilege of hearing from Becca. And um, the first thing I did when I got back in Seattle from Alaska off the cruise ship and I got service was I listened to her message. And if you weren't here last week, you have to go listen to it on our podcast. You can, you can listen to it on Podbean or on the Apple podcast app. Um, but you have to go listen to it because um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Becca has a master's is in counseling or yes, counseling in counseling. Um, so she's very qualified to talk about mental health, which is great. She kicked it off, and I can just kind of swoop in a little bit under the radar, feed off of her coattails a little bit, and, um, and carry on. But there was this, these great moments that she was talking about last week and, and connecting the science and the spiritual, that um, in, our, in our study of the brain, we've discovered that this thing called dopamine, as Becca talked about last week, is this... Um, like yippee center, right? It's this chemical, this yippee thing. And sometimes we can train our bodies, our minds, into liking things we shouldn't like because we've done it. But the great thing, as Becca talked about last week, is we can rewire our brains to long for what is righteous and what is good. And there are so many great things. I can't summarize the whole thing. That's why you have to go listen to it on the podcast. It's great. It's like 30 minutes. Um, it's less than some of your commutes to work. So, Aaron, your commute to work, um, it, it has increased. Um, Aaron moved recently, if nobody got that joke. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't know much about Celebrate Recovery when we, when we were going to kick off this series, this CR series. And um, so it, I discovered that recovery, the word recovery is like an acrostic, that each letter is, is like the beginning of a sentence that starts with that letter. And today we're going to talk about the C. The C, in it. The C um, that we're going to talk about is to consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's, or to Christ's care and control. And I don't know about you, but I know statements are really, really simple to say and really, really complicated to actually live out. It's like, we should do this. We should surrender all of our cares and our worries to Christ, and uh, he'll look out for us, right? He'll, he'll, he'll be there for us. But we have such a hard time surrendering, right? And there's a number of re- reasons that, that can keep us from that, but I, I think it's important that we remember what Christ is asking us, and and in in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And so we know this trade, this trade that's happening, this surrender that's happening, actually comes with a, a, a helpful thing. Jesus is describing this, that it's his, his burden is easy to bear. And, and I know we've talked about this probably like a year ago, but that easy is like it's helpful, it's, it's useful, it's, it's, um, 
It's a partner with you. It, there's still work involved, but he is there with us. And he helps in all that we do. But there's this, this usual suspects. Like, what keeps us from doing what we ought to do? What keeps us from going the places that we, we ought to go, that we, we ought to be in? I mean, there's this laundry list of like, it's pride, which is the nice way of saying arrogance. And um, there's shame and there's, there's, there's fear, there's worry, there's doubt. And I think we all fall into one of these categories as we're trying to pursue God. We, we get worried about what others will think. We doubt that we can do it. We're prideful and we don't think we need to change. But I think... The one that we can center on throughout this series is shame. And Becca hit on it so much last week that, uh, like she said, that shame says, I am a mistake rather than I made a mistake. I am a mistake rather than I made a mistake. And that's, that's where we, we are. We build up these things in our mistakes and we, we make them our identity rather than saying, this is where I messed up and I can move on from that. And this is the moment where I want everybody to kind of fill in the blank for themselves because I don't want to make light of anyone's struggle. Um, last week, Becca talked about, Beck talked about coffee, right? Anybody remember the coffee moment? I just heard a, I, I heard a lot of silence, guys. Just a lot. Yes. <laughs> You're all drinking your coffee. Yeah. So we were talking about coffee, but... Um, there's no struggle that's too small or too big for God, right? There's no struggle too small or too big for God. And so I don't want to make light of anyone's struggle. So take inventory of your life right now, and what is your struggle? What is, what is the thing that you wrestle with? Know that God is very real, and he sees you in your struggle, and he doesn't turn his back on you. He doesn't look away so one of the things that is, is great, and I'm, I'm, I'm stealing from Becca all day today, so just be ready for a lot of Becca references, okay? Normally it's NBA or movies, today it's Becca. So, um, so we as a community of faith, and I think community is such a powerful word that Becca touched on last week, community of faith. We have an obligation to do what Christ does and to see people in their struggle and not turn our back on them. We have to see people in their struggle and go, I don't look down on you. I know I've had people come talk to me and they're struggling with something and they want to work through something. And I say this to them, be honest with me from start to finish. You will feel no shame from me. I will not look down on you or think less of you. But when we honestly communicate about our struggles, we're able to have something happen in our lives that is really wonderful that we don't get when we keep it to ourselves. When we keep it to ourselves, we're, we're, we're shouldering all the load on us. But when we share in each other's burdens, when we share in each other's burdens, we actually are able to help one each other. We're able to move people forward. And when we share those burdens, shame is eliminated. When others know your struggle, there is no shame left. As the church, we need to be people that look each other in the eye 
knowing each other's struggles and not flinch. And not flinch. We don't get to look down on anybody because they sin differently than us. Is it, have you ever thought about that? That sometimes we label these sins as being worse than what we are or worse than anything we've ever done. But the beautiful thing about the gospel and the hard thing to swallow sometimes is that the bar is sin. It's not levels of sin, it's sin. That's the bar. And so when we miss the bar, we're all on level playing field. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We've all sinned. And so never look down on somebody because they sin differently than you. Always be encouraging and encourage them to live a righteous life and live a life that is, is devoted to Jesus. Paul in Galatians 6 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's, each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are fooling yourself. You are not that important. That was the Bible. That was not my commentary. The Bible literally said, if you're not willing to help other people, you're not that important. Right? See, I do say right a lot. We talked about that beforehand. Um, and there was um. The Bible is so blunt. You are not that important if you're not willing to help somebody else. You're not that important. So help each other. Be important. Help one another. Bear each other's burdens, as this verse says in the NIV. It says, bear each other's burdens. And I can't go through this sermon without pointing out one thing. Say some of you, this is just a fictional example that has nothing to do with sin. Say one of you walks in wearing jeans and a t-shirt to church. And you happen to walk by Pastor Steve wearing shorts and a t-shirt in church. Just subtly correct that behavior. I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong with shorts in church. Um, just my dad's here, and he's wearing shorts and a T-shirt in church, which you're never going to see it again. So <laughs> I just had to. Um, that was something I saw. I meant to say it earlier when it made more sense, um, when we weren't in the middle of a sermon, but I couldn't make it to the end of the sermon without saying, Gio is out dressing my dad this morning. He's got sweatpants on and a T-shirt. Yeah. Gio. <laughs> There you go. There's that woo. Good. There you go. All right. As a church, we have to share each other's burdens. We have to be there, be willing to correct, be willing to stay there in love and say, hey, I know you're going through a hard time, but I'm here for you, and I want to help you. We both want to chase after Jesus. We both want to be people who strive to look like Jesus. And that's what it means to share each other's burdens. So how do we make this step to commit our lives and, and all of our struggles to Jesus? How do we make this, this, this step? And 
I think we have to start at the beginning. We have to accept that Jesus is our Savior. So Jesus came, was fully God and fully man, meaning that he was God, but he shared in all the experiences of man. He, he was born as a baby. He, wasn't, he didn't arrive as an adult. He shared in our struggles. He shared in our burdens. He shared in our temptations. And he lives his perfect life. And then he goes to the cross and dies, and he's killed for us. And then he comes back to life. He pulls something off that nobody else can do. He, he comes back to life after three days. And he lived this perfect life. And in Romans 10, it gives us this, this beautiful formula. And in verses 9 and 10, it says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's the starting place. So if you haven't, haven't arrived at that spot, go there. And then move on to this next thing. And if we believe that, that Jesus really is our Savior, the next thing is we have to understand that his word is our standard. So the Bible is our standard. It is the um, bar that we live by. Just like we were talking about earlier where if we miss it, we're, we sin. And everybody's the same in that. But the Bible is that standard. It's the bar. It's the, what tells us where we are. And um, do, do any of you guys remember um, video games used to be released with uh, guidebooks? Anybody remember this? Um, if you're too young to remember this, it's just called Google now, just so you know. Um, but they, they would come with these guidebooks, and so you would you would buy the game, and then you would buy this guidebook. So if you ever got stuck, you could like flip through and figure out how to make it past this area. And I think a lot of times we treat the Bible like this. We treat it like um, most hardcore gamers and who think it's weakness to use the guidebook. Um, it's weakness to use the guidebook. It's better to earn it. Um, and we go through and we, we see the Bible as, if we get in a rough spot, we might look at it and we might see it as correction. And we might, we might follow along. When really, the Bible is more like an instruction manual to a board game. Have you ever played a board game without reading the instruction manual? You did it wrong. You, the first time you play a board game, you have to. You have to read the instructions. Otherwise, you're going to play that game with somebody else who knows how to actually play the game, and they're going to be like, whoa, 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 these are not the rules. I recently had this encounter. Um, I, was, uh, I was at PK Retreat. I spoke at PK Retreat a, a while back, and um, I was playing this game called Bang with um, our district youth director. His name's Darren. He was here a couple months ago. Um, and this game called Bang is a Wild West game. It's a Wild West card game, and you're trying to kill each other, you know, because, you know, wholesome. It's wholesome family fun. Um, but it's a sheriff and a couple deputies and, and some outlaws, and you try to, your team win. Well, if you stay alive at the end of the game, you get to keep your character. If you died in the game, 
you lose your character and you're dealt a new one on the next game. So I won the game. And Darren said, no, 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 you don't get to keep your card. I was like, uh, I do, it's in the rules. You made a big deal about the rules at the beginning. It's in the rules. He's like, no, 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 we don't play like that. We don't play like that. Give me your card. I'm like, it's in the rules. So I had to give him my card. <laughs> but isn't that like how we treat the Bible sometimes? We go, okay. I'm going to read the manual, but I don't like the rules. I'm going to change some of the rules. I'm going to have some house rules. That doesn't work with the Bible. The Bible is the standard. It's, it's the even playing field. We all know what the rules are if we read our Bible. Plus, it's the first day of July. We just started the July reading plan. Join us. I know Aaron and Marissa and myself and Zaina. I saw you joined. Um, there's a bunch of Sprecher joined. Bunch of people joined. Read the Bible. It's important. It's good. It's the standard. But sometimes we do that in our society and we, and we go, okay, I like these rules. I don't like these rules. I like this. I don't like this. And we've got to be people that read the word, digest the word, and live the word. That's what Jesus is calling us to. We know Jesus is our Savior and he is the fulfillment of those scriptures. He is what it means to live by, the, live by those scriptures. So when we follow after Jesus, we have to follow after his word. And let me say this as well. As you read the Bible, remember that you need to know the historical context of the book you're reading. You need to know that you're reading a translation, most likely of a translation, so know the context and do a little bit of deeper study because sometimes face value in English isn't face value in, in Greek or Hebrew. So sometimes you need to do that. I'm not saying don't be um, scholarly in your look at the scriptures because it's so important. It's so important to know what the scriptures are literally saying. But read the word, know the word. That's so important. And then we need to take inventory of our life and see where we've missed the mark. David, at the end of, of Psalm 139, um, has this prayer that we could pray over and over again. Um, this is a prayer that we could pray daily. Every morning, every evening, we could pray this prayer, and it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out everything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Point out anything in me that offends you. That has to come from a place of humility that says, I know that I have offended you somewhere. Along the way, I'm human, so I've offended you somewhere. I've messed up. If you think you haven't offended God, just ask your family. I'm sure you've offended them. Right? We have our own faults. No one's without sin. So we have to admit it and then ask for forgiveness. And, and 1 John 1 tells us this. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. 
and showing that his word has no place in our heart. That word, that's where it comes back to his word. We have to know what he says. Because a lot of times what we do is we claim that we're without sin, but we're ignorant of the sin in our lives. Sometimes we're ignorant of the sin in our lives. And that's where it's so important to be in the word. And it's so important to have that community of faith that can come alongside you and help you and instruct you and grow you closer to God. Then we come full circle. And this is probably the, one of the hardest parts. But we have to admit our faults to a trusted fellow Christian. We have to admit our faults. James 5 says this. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. How great is that promise that, that God gives us in James? The, prayer, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I think it's important that as we look at that verse, we recognize that this is not one-way confession. This is two-way confession. This is confess one to another. That I know I'm not perfect, and I know you're not perfect. Let's confess our sin and help each other move towards righteousness, move towards right living. We can't be people who sit in arrogance and, of, and, and, and pretend to have this like this fake perfection, because we're not. We're not perfect. I, I met a lot of pastors this week, and uh, I told them that I'm now the campus pastor of the church I grew up in, um, which is great, because I don't have to fake being perfect. You guys know I'm not, so I don't have to fake it. But don't fake it either. Don't fake being perfect. An authentic person who is trying to live righteously is way more valuable than a person faking righteousness. We got to share in our, each other's struggles. That's why when we talk about this concept of like accountability partners, uh, and that's a person that you confide in, that, that holds you to the scriptures, that encourage you to go further, to go um, closer to God. That's why we can we need those people that we can lean over and say, hey, in love, you cross the line. In love, you cross the line so that we can get back on the right side of the line. And then further down that line, they're going to lean over to you and say, hey, you crossed the line. So we can get back on that right side of the line. I thought it was astonishing. When Becca threw out this stat last week, it was astonishing to me that it was 90% of men don't have a best friend. 90%. That means like one in 10 of you in the room have best friends. And it's obviously me. <laughs> no. Statistically, one in 10 guys has a best friend, which I don't know how that math works because if you have a best friend, you, there's got to be two of you. So I guess it's two and 20. Two and 20 have a best, have a best friend because you got to be someone's best friend. You can't just be like, that's my best friend and they don't know you. It's a little weird, right? A little weird. 
Um, you're doing it wrong if you think that. Um, <laughs> but that's what we need. We need people that we're spiritually close to. And I would encourage you, guys, if you're in the room and you don't have a best friend spiritually, because there's a difference between a spiritual best friend and a best friend who just cheers for your sports team. Those are not the same thing. We have to develop depth here. We have to develop something here that's more important than sporting losing 2-0 last night on a pathetic performance. We have to develop something deeper. Find somebody else in this room that doesn't have a spiritual best friend and go to coffee once a week and talk about, hey, what is this scripture saying to me this week? Where am I struggling this week? Where can you pray for me this week? And then listen for the other side. And ladies in the room, you can do the same thing. Find another lady in the room who you want to go to lunch with once a week and, and have that same encounter. And lunch and coffee are not gender-specific things. The guys can go to lunch and the girls can go to coffee. Unless you struggle with drinking too much coffee, and then I would not suggest going to coffee. Um, but those are, those are important. If, you, if, if there's one thing you could take away from today, it's that. It's find somebody who can be a spiritual best friend to you. A spiritual best friend. I know I, as I was kind of going through some of the sessions this week as we were um, on our trip to Alaska, one of the things that um, somebody said to me was, I've not met a pastor who doesn't feel alone or doesn't feel lonely. And that was a harsh reality that everyone in the room struggles with this at some level. That we have to be people that humble ourselves and say, I'm not perfect and I'm willing to be spiritually close to another person. To have a spiritual best friend that is willing to call us on our garbage, but do it kindly. Who's willing to walk beside us and encourage us and say, not only am I here to tell you where you've kind of missed it, but I'm, I'm here to speak the things that you can be. Because a lot of times what we, what, we, what we do when we're in these moments of like trying to like help somebody be better, we like tell them all the ways they're wrong. And we miss out on telling them who God's called them to be. We miss out on the positive, those encouraging words that Aaron was talking about earlier, which I was a little worried was gossip as well when you started. But those encouraging, those encouraging words that Aaron was talking about, those encouraging words... It's so important to say, hey, I, I know you're struggling with this right now, but I see you. I see you for who you can become. There was a student at camp a couple weeks ago. I was praying for them, and I've known the words that people have said over them. I've known the words that people have said over this student that said, uh, you can't be a pastor because you're a woman. You will never be this you will never be enough. And the word I kept saying as I prayed for her is, you are a giant. You will not be small like these people who talk about you. 
You're a giant. We need people who are praying over each other's lives and saying, you are a righteous man of God. You are a righteous woman of God who has a plan and a purpose. We need friends in our lives who are willing to say that and go, you are called to more because God has a special purpose and plan for you. We've got to be those people. If no one's been that person for you, maybe, maybe you should be that person for somebody else and it might come around. But the call for each and every one of us is to be encouragers of each other, to pursue God, to pursue him. And this, by far, is the hardest part for me. And it's probably, there's some other people in the room that are are with me here. I think a lot of times we're hardest on ourselves. We are own toughest critics. And in Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says this. So now there is no, none, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the Holy Spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. If God has forgiven us, who are we to not forgive ourselves? And I know that's hard because of all these things, this is the hardest for me. When I'm wrong, I know that God forgives me, but there's a coupling step that has to go with it, and it has to be, I forgive me. I forgive me. I know God forgives me, but I have to go and say, I, I know you messed up. You just got to let it go. God's let it go. I let it go. That's kind of got to be that step that, that we work through. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in, in the room that's hard on themselves. Um, but we've got to be people who believe that if the God of the universe can forgive us, we can forgive us. We can be people that forgive our faults and our mistakes and our wrongdoings. So remember, you are human. Isn't that a sobering thought? You're human. You're not perfect. You're human. So take a deep breath. This isn't going to be the last time you mess up. It'll happen again. But in this moment, allow God's forgiveness to wash over you. Know that you are not a mistake that you made in the past. It was a mistake, but you are not that mistake. You are not that mistake. You're not that sin. As one of the songs we sing, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. You are one who is loved by God and forgiven by God. So this morning as the band comes up, we're going to sing one last song, but remember, we, we have to accept that Jesus really is the Savior. He's the one in charge. And so if he is the Savior, we have to ask for forgiveness of our sin. We know we've messed up. Um, I don't know if any of you saw Chris Pratt's uh, MTV Award acceptance speech. Yeah? Um, if you haven't, that sounds like a really weird reference for church but just go look at it. Um, 
He's got this great moment in it where he says, you're not perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect, but you're not. Know that. Know that you're not perfect. It's okay. We don't want to buy into this lie that you're perfect the way you are. God loves you the way you are. That's different. But we have to long to be like him. And I can tell you as the pastor of this church and probably whoever the most spiritual person in the church is will tell you that I am not perfect. Whoever's arrived at being the most spiritual, whatever that even means, will probably tell you that they're not perfect. They're not going to be perfect. John wasn't perfect. Peter wasn't perfect. Paul was definitely not perfect. But we ask God and we say, God, forgive me because I know I'm not perfect and you are good. And then we say to one another, hey, I'm struggling this. Will you help me? Will you be there with me to encourage me? And as a pastor, may I say this in all love, some of us need each other to encourage us to be in church. Some of us need to be encouraging our friends to be in church. We think that when we miss a moment, it's just a Sunday. It's just a Sunday. But it's starting our week off with God being the focus. And we can't miss out on that. We can't miss out on that. Some of us need to encourage our friends that, hey, we need to set this as the standard. Be in church. Some of us need help with reading the Bible. That's why you need to join a reading plan. You'll get a reminder every day that Aaron Cervantes has read the Bible and he's already commented on the passage of Scripture. You get that reminder. Some of us need to pray more. We need to take some time, as Becca said, away from some screens. Move away from your TV or your, or your cell phone or your iPad or whatever and have this moment that says, this time is dedicated to God. I need to be better at that. I need to be better at that. There's a moment while we were waiting in the airport this week, and um, I normally write on my laptop, but my laptop was dead, and um, I pulled out a, a journal, and there was, there was something about just writing pen to paper that was, that was good. It was soothing. Having this moment where I can just go, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is who you are. This is my prayer. Sometimes I think we get caught up in prayers having to be spoken and, and they can be written. Um, but confess to one another. Encourage one another. And finally, forgive yourself because God has. God's got you covered. He's forgiven you. He's there. That beautiful verse, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, could we live that? Could we just live that out? That shame has no place because there's no condemnation from God. When we pursue him, when we're chasing after him, there's no condemnation. So no, no matter what your struggle is, no matter where you are, there is no condemnation from God for those who are in Christ Jesus, who, for those who want to pursue him. It's so good. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can make this step of commitment, of, of moving close to you, of living close to you, of living near you. God, I pray 
as someone who struggles with forgiving themselves. God, let your forgiveness wash over this place. God, forgive me. I don't want to move from this moment too quickly. Let the realization that God has forgiven you wash over this place. Thank you, God, that you're a God who restores us. That not only did you come to save us from our sin, you came to restore us to who we should be. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let shame die at your feet. We need to develop some spiritual depth that only comes through relationship. God, may that be a convicting moment for each of us that if we're not having spiritual conversations with somebody consistently, let that be a conviction for us that we have to be people that have spiritual conversations to grow ourselves, to confess our sins, to change who we are. God, thank you for all that you are. You're a good, good God. In your name we pray.